We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is the nature of man. And I'm going to use Carl Menninger's question, whatever became of sin, is there such a thing as a good person? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Like I said, the topic for the day is the nature of man. Now, if you've listened to this show over the course of the last year or so, you know that I have gone back to Chuck Colson's worldview model over and over again. And I've reminded you that there are four components to that model. The origin of man, the nature of man, the redemption of man, and the responsibility of man. Chuck Colson taught us that every worldview, whether it's Buddhist or Baptist, Anglican or atheist, has an answer to those questions. Origin of man, where do you come from? Nature of man, what kind of person are you? Redemption of man, how do you solve the problem? And responsibility of man, what are you supposed to do about it at the end of the day? What is your obligation in terms of engaging in culture? What kind of person should you be? Now, this is the basis for today's show again. And I'm going to answer the question, is there such a thing as a good person? Carl Menninger wrote a book back in the 70s. He was a psychologist. His book was titled, Whatever Became of Sin? And his question and Chuck Colson's worldview model overlap on this key issue. The origin of man, no, that's not the issue in today's show. The nature of man is the issue. You have to answer the questions of Colson's model accurately if you're going to be able to engage in a free society. Origin of man is very important. We've talked about that over and over again. Where do we come from? Are we nothing but the product of the primordial soup? Have we all just risen out of the swamp as evolved amoeba? Are we any different? than the dog, the pig, the cat, or the cow? Is the Imago Dei, the image of God, important when it comes to our view of philosophy, our view of psychology, our view of religion, our view of politics and government? Does it matter how we answer the question of the origin of man when it comes to that particular issue? Well, yes, it does. Because if you don't believe that you're any more important than the dog, the pig, the cat, the cow, then you're going to have a very different government and very different rules, very different laws than somebody who believes that the human being is different and superior to those other, those other creatures. So the origin of man is, is important, but like I said, that's not the topic for today's show. The topic for today's show is the nature of man. Is there such a thing as a good person? And I'm going to deal with that within the concept of Menninger's question, whatever became of sin. 
So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to answer the question. Is there such a thing as a good person? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Now, I'm going to guess that this topic today and this show is going to be one of the most controversial shows that I've done in a while with regard to my audience, those of you who listen in on a routine basis. I'm going to guess that there's going to be a larger percentage of you that are uncomfortable with my point today and my conclusions today than usually are. Because I'm going to guess that even if you agree with me and on a lot of the other things that I say, that you've come out of this um, environment, you've been raised within this culture just as I have, and you've been taught just as I have something very different than what I'm going to share with you today. And therefore, this is going to be challenging. So buckle up and listen to me and consider, at least consider, what I have to say. And think about it. Even if you're inclined to say, whoa, whoa, I think you're, uh, you're, I think you're off on this one. So again, the question is, is there such a thing as a good person? Now, if you were listening in last week, you know that I wrote a column. I wrote a cl- column a week ago, and I shared George Barna's recent research that indicates that just slightly more than a third of American pastors, and even fewer parishioners, obviously, have a biblical worldview. A lot of people, a lot of people chimed in and said, well, I appreciate the article, but you didn't define what a biblical worldview is. Some of my negative detractors, what's a biblical worldview? Um, What evidence do you have? that it's been compromised. You didn't even share with us the definition of a biblical worldview in your column. Well, that's true. I didn't, because you can only do so many things in 800 words in an opinion piece. So I shared George Barna's research where he concluded that fewer than a third of American pastors have a biblical worldview. And again, Many of you rightly asked, what is a biblical worldview? And I covered that in a subsequent show last week, but I'm going to deal with it a little bit more specifically today. So in other words, what's the evidence that um, the pastorate, uh, and, I, and I would argue even fewer parishioners, uh, by and large do not have a biblical worldview? Well, today I'm going to share with you more evidence, some of the specifics, that America's church is essentially essentially without that foundation of a biblical worldview, that America's church, by and large, has essentially abandoned the core teaching of Christianity. So here's some evidence. It can't be disputed that one of the historical tenets of a biblical worldview is the doctrine of original sin. Now, that can't be disputed. That's a fact. The doctrine of original sin is a creedal truth that's been put forth very straightforwardly over the centuries, over the millennia. The doctrine of original sin has been Christian dogma for 2,000 years, and it's summarized most concisely, I suppose, in the words of the Apostle Paul, who told the first century church, uh, specifically this was in the epistle of uh, Romans, as he wrote to the first century Roman church, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Apostle Paul is being very clear. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is broken. 
all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on and says this, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one, not you, not me, no one. No one is righteous. Now, replace the word righteous with good. There is none good, no, not one. Now, how's that make you feel? Do you squirm a little bit? Because do you think, well, I'm a good person, or my neighbor's a good person, or, you know, my dad, my mom, they're, they're good people. Now, well, what's the Bible say? Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. There's none good. No, not one. So from its inception, the church has consistently taught that the human heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. Well, that's another biblical quote. That's from the prophet Jeremiah. I'll say it one more time. The human heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. So you have the Apostle Paul saying that no one is good. No one is righteous. No, not one. He doubles up. He repeats it. No, not one. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And earlier, obviously, the prophet Jeremiah said the heart, the human heart, is desperately wicked and beyond cure. And you even have non-biblical writers like Francis Thompson, the poet, when he writes about the provenient grace of the hound of heaven who pursues each one of us unto the very gates of hell and that we are all irredeemably doomed if it weren't for that hound of heaven, God's pursuit of us. Again, that's Francis Thompson. By the way, what is provenient grace? Well, that's the grace that actually reaches out and softens our heart and pursues us even when we don't want God and we don't even want to have anything to do with him. He wants something to do with us. He's pursuing us even though we're not pursuing him. That's provenient grace. So human depravity is an assumed Christian doctrine. It's part and parcel of biblical teaching and a biblical faith. Personal sin, yours and mine, and the need for all of us, for all of us to seek Christ's atonement. Our need for his atonement is the context for the response of G.K. Chesterton, who when he was asked by the London Times to submit an essay on the topic of what's wrong with the world, responded, it's reported by simply saying, Dear Sirs, I am, close quote, G.K. Chesterton. Do you get what he's saying there? If you want to talk about what's wrong with the world, Chesterton is responding, let's all start looking in the mirror. Dear sirs, if you want to know what's wrong with the world, I am, most sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And he's implying that every one of us should be answering the question the same way. You want to know what's wrong with the world? Look in the mirror. You are. I am. We are what's wrong with the world. He's basically saying original sin is the issue here. So the bottom line is this. The Bible clearly teaches that none of us are good, that all of us are broken, and that individual sin is perhaps the most empirically proven aspect of all of Christian theology. Again, I'm borrowing that and paraphrasing G.K. Chesterton again. He said, when you pick up the daily newspaper, when you listen to the radio, in his case, and in your case right now, if you're listening to this show, 
If you Google your news, or if you get your news on Facebook or Twitter or MeWe or whatever source you use to get your daily news, the most empirically proven aspect of all of Christian theology is that everyone is broken. Everyone is guilty of sin. And it shines forth boldly on a daily basis in the news to prove the point of Christian theology on this matter. Human beings are wicked. The heart is desperately wicked, again, says Jeremiah. The heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. That's what the Bible says. Now, I would argue there's nothing in the Bible that affirms. That's one of the words I hate today. Affirmation, an affirming church, an affirming worldview. Uh, the The word just rubs me the wrong way. And why? Because I don't believe there's anything in the Bible that affirms who we are or that tells us to celebrate that we are born that way. No, no. On the contrary, Jesus himself tells us that unless we repent, not affirm who we are, but repent of who we are, there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth. And every one of us, he says, must be born again, not affirming that you're born that way, but that you must repent and be born again. This is a key teaching of Jesus. Don't talk to me about Jesus being a great big affirming counselor in the sky, that he's just going to give you a great big group hug. Kumbaya, you were born that way. Let's celebrate it. No, no, that's not the message of Christ or the prophets, or John the Baptist, or the apostles. No, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We must repent. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you, cleanse you, because you're dirty. I'm dirty, dirtied with sin. Cleanse us of all what? Unrighteousness, sin. So if you want to talk about a biblical worldview, we have to go back to what the Bible teaches. Now, when I say there's nothing in the Bible that affirms who we are, well, I do believe that it's very clear in Scripture that human importance and dignity, the imago Dei, is affirmed, that we are different than the cows that we see out in the field. We are different than our pets, our animal friends. We are different than a rock and a tree. Yes, we are affirmed as being uniquely created in the image of God. If you want to call that an affirmation, then so be it. But from day one in creation, we see that 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 purity was broken because of Adam and Eve's desires to be as God. They wanted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to become as gods themselves, and therefore doing what? Defining good and evil for themselves, no longer needing to rest upon God's definitions of those things. And like I've already said, referring back to G.K. Chesterton, if you, wanna, if you want proof that it's gone badly ever since that day, then just look at the news. We're at the point where we are defining everything upside down. Good and evil not only is defined 
upside down now, but we can't define a man or a woman. We can't define a child. That's what this debate over the Supreme Court decision, the imminent Supreme Court decision, with regard to abortion is all about, because we think we can define what a child is. It's not, or it's not a real child, even though it has fingers and toes and a beating heart and a functioning brain. It's not a real child, even though it's got fully developed lungs and liver and kidneys. No, it's not a real child, even though it recoils from pain and recognizes its mother's voice. No, it's not a real child, we say, because it hasn't moved yet. It hasn't exited the birth canal. It hasn't moved eight inches from there to here. So we're, we're going to define it as something other than a human being. See, that's, that's the original sin. That's why we're having this debate. The arrogance, the hubris of the human heart that is desperately wicked beyond all things. All right, so I would argue that even Jesus makes this clear. Biblical worldview, that's what we're talking about. If you're uncomfortable so far, then I understand, because you've been taught something very different. But I'm talking about a biblical worldview. What is it? Well, the Bible teaches original sin. Paul said it. Jeremiah said it. Psalmist said it. Jesus said it. Now, you contrast all of this with another bit of information that we learned from George Barna's research that today 77% of self-described Christians agree with this following statement. People are basically good. Now, something's wrong here. I just went through a biblical worldview with regard to the brokenness, the sinfulness of human beings. The nature of man is not good, that it inclines itself to wickedness, unrighteousness, stuff that's the opposite of good. But yet 77%, over three-quarters of self-described American Christians, agree with the following statement, people are basically good. Frankly, this is a stunning condemnation of the American pastorate. Rather than warning of the consequences of sin, it appears that many of our contemporary evangelical preachers and teachers are celebrating it. I'll say that again. Rather than warning of the consequences of sin, it appears that many of our evangelical preachers and teachers are celebrating sin. They're affirming it. Look at this Nazarene pastor in Kansas City, Andy McGee. He actually posts in his bio that he's a bisexual Christian. He's celebrating his identity as a bisexual. He's celebrating his favorite sin as the marker of who he is. Does that sound like goodness to you? Well, that's what he thinks. He's saying, I'm a good person. Don't tell me that my inclinations, my desires, my habits, my passions, my hungers are evil. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me they're unrighteous. They're good because I'm a good person. Now, Carl Menninger, who was a psychologist back in the 1970s and earlier, wrote a book once, and the title of the book was Whatever Became of Sin. Now, to my knowledge, Menninger wasn't a Christian, but he recognizes that the concept of sin is important. That's the point of his book, Whatever Became of Sin. It appears that in today's churches, it's gone the way of the horse and buggy. Preaching about sin is now viewed by many pastors and priests 
as being as outdated and too judgmental. And it's been replaced with a more, here's the word again, affirming way of addressing the human experience. We want to make people feel good. We don't want to scare them away. We need to affirm them. Give them a big hug. Contemporary church attendees, you and I are now told that we are born good. And anyone suggesting that well, we're sinners is the sinner for suggesting that we're sinners, right? Again, it's this circular fallacy of the progressive left. A sidebar here. I can't, I can't avoid saying this. Isn't it ironic that while modern American Christians are quick to deny the reality of original sin, that they at the same time cry to be protected from the ideas and actions of others that they're so quick to deem as being sinful? Well, there's no such thing as original sin. Why do you talk about sin all the time? But then they turn around and condemn my questions or someone else's questions as being sinful questions. Self-refuting, isn't it? This woke and righteous reaction of those who claim to be all about inclusion, they then stumble over themselves to exclude anyone like me or you that they've decided is too exclusive. Again, self-refuting, they're sawing off the branch upon which they sit. They'll posture and preach about acceptance, but then they will shamelessly refuse to accept anyone they see as unacceptable. Same thing, self-refuting, dog-chasing its tail. They're quick to condemn all who hold to the old definitions of right and wrong, as being what? Wrong. (laughs) Okay, Bark, 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 chase your tail, saw off that limb upon which you sit, woke progressives. This is the new world of the American Christian. In this new sanctuary of the affirming church, we see a bunch of affirmational talk until they don't feel affirmed, and then they're surely not going to affirm those who challenge their affirmational talk. This is all a new religion whose congregants see themselves as sinless and everyone who dares disagree with them as sinful. There's no such thing as sin, they say, and you're a sinner for telling me that there is. Again, stop and think about how circular all of this nonsense is. If you boil all of this talk of personal goodness down to its basic self-refuting premise, it's really nothing more than the denial of sin while celebrating the original sin. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like I said earlier, because they wanted to supplant God and become gods themselves. That's the point of that story. And As gods themselves, they declared that they would decide what was right and what was wrong, what was true and what was false, what was just and what was unjust. In essence, Adam and Eve chose to define what sin was and what sin wasn't. And thus, they denied sin's existence while at the same time giving sin 
it birth. That's the story of the original sin. It's, this, it's the beginning of this self-refuting circle of insanity of the human race. We don't want God to tell us anything because we want to be as gods. And at the end of the day, we deny God's definition of sin. We say it's antiquated. That's just old-fashioned thinking. There's no such thing as sin. Why do we talk about that? We need to affirm people. We deny sin's existence while at the same time we give it birth. What happened in the garden at the beginning of creation is still going on on a minute-by-minute basis today. Again, just look at the daily news. So if the garden story teaches us anything, it teaches us that when anyone but God declares himself or herself to be good, it never ends well. You know, Hitler thought he was good. Pol Pot thought he was good. Mao thought he had good ideas. Robespierre elevated himself to be the personification of good. Fidel Castro thought he was good. Mussolini thought he was good. Every despot of history thought that he was good. Every despot of history didn't believe in original sin, recoiled against the biblical worldview of the brokenness and sinfulness of man. Every despot of history rose up and thought he could be as God. And history teaches us that it never ends well when we do that. So if you want proof that the American church is no longer sharing a biblical worldview, no longer subscribes to what the Bible teaches about us, just go back to the first two questions of Chuck Colson's worldview model. Origin of man and nature of man. We no longer believe that our origin is that we were created by God uniquely as the Imago Dei, the image of God, but with moral awareness and moral culpability and therefore moral brokenness because of our denial of God's authority over our lives. We don't believe that the origin of man is unique, nor do we believe that the nature of man is as God defined it. Broken, sinful, there's none righteous, no, not one, and that the human heart is desperately wicked. We don't believe that anymore. Three quarters of American Christians have apparently never learned the lesson, the lesson of the Garden of Eden, of original sin, the lessons of St. Paul to the first church in Rome the lessons of the prophets like Jeremiah, who have all told us there's no such thing as a good person. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good, not, no, not one. Your heart is desperately wicked as it is mine. If you want to know what's wrong with the world, dear sirs, I am, you are, we are. We need to repent because we are sinful. We're not saints. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. And this is The Rebellion.